Let's open up to Romans chapter 13. we starting in verse 8. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this, knowing the time. That is already the hour for you to be awakened from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife or and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Heavenly Father, speak to us this day through your word. Mold us and shape us into the men and women you've called us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, the biblical definition of the word love does not include our culture's insistence of tolerating or even celebrating sin. On the contrary, biblical love hates what's evil and it clings to what is good. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be sincere, abhor, or detest Or hate what is evil. Cling, hold on to what is good. See, if we truly love, we will hate violence done to other people. If we truly love, we will hate lying. And we will love the truth. But at the same time, we will love the people who do lie. Because we see those people as people who desperately need a Savior. It's interesting how this text starts out, oh, nothing to anyone. You know, you can get to a place where you get all your financial debts are paid off. But there is a debt that we owe that we can never pay off. It's love. We'll be always indebted to it. The obligation, responsibility, and command to love has no limit. As God's love has extended to everyone, all of mankind, all of humanity, we must ensure our love encompasses everybody as well. We must reach out to believers and non-believers alike. To place the welfare of others above our own is not limited to those who are like faith. Tomorrow, not tomorrow, next Sunday, we might have people come in here look different than us. Dress different than us. Come from other places, different from where we're from. But we must love them with the love of Christ to draw them to the Savior. And when people see that, they're going to say, what's different about you? 
Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. I mentioned this just a minute ago, but look back at verse 8. Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. Have you ever owed anybody any money? Oh, don't look at me like that. And every time you saw that individual, what did you think about? If Thad over here loaded me money, every time I saw Thad in town, I said, man, I owe Thad money. I need to pay him back. That's what I'll be thinking about. And you know what this passage is telling me? When I look at other people, when I, when I come around other people and I look at you, I should remind you that I owe you a debt. I need to love you as Christ loves you. That's what this text is telling me. That I must show people the love of Christ, that I may love a person, accept that person, show that person compassion. That comes from having a relationship with Christ. This love debt that we owe. Well, how did we incur this debt? We just sing about it. The first question, how did we incur this debt? Jesus paid your sin debt when you were flat broke. God, being holy and perfect, demands perfection. But he created a people who can make a choice. You ever look back at the Garden of Eden? God was very gracious. He put him in the garden and said, all this is yours. But don't go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All this is yours, but don't mess with that. Of course, you know the story. The servant came and tempted Eve. And I've heard some comedians say, well, it's all Eve's fault. But you know what? I, I blame Adam even more because apparently Adam was standing right there when all this was happening. And the text tells us she turned and gave it to him and he took a bite. Why didn't Adam stop it right then and there? I have no idea. But he gave us a choice. But he demands perfection. There's no way that we can have fellowship with him by ourselves we are sinners by nature and by choice we cannot relate to this holy god and some of us use religion the way i would simply uh give a definition to that word religion is man's attempt trying to reach god we do all these things to try to please god in other words, we try to write these checks to God, try to buy our way in. Uh, we read our Bible. We pray. We go to church. We never miss. We do all these good things trying to earn our way in. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot earn your way. You think you can pay God off? That's religion. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is all about relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. See, God looked at us when we were sinners. Knowing that we can never repay the debt, he sent his one and only son to pay that debt that we owe by shedding his blood on the cross. You cannot buy your salvation because Jesus paid it all. And as the hymn says, all to him I owe. Did you catch that last line we just sang twice? I stand in all of you. I owe it all. I owe it all to you, Jesus. Did we really stop and think about what we're saying? We just stood here together as fellow believers talking to Christ and we owe you everything, even our own lives. Question two, to whom do you repay this debt? Some people say, I'll just try to pay Jesus back. After all, he's the one who paid it. Now, we're all to love Jesus. 
are also commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. You ever been late on a debt or on a bill and you get those calls from collections agencies? Hey, you need to owe this, you need to owe that. And so we pay that collection agency off and therefore we sell the debt. In this case, Jesus says, you know how you can show you love me? Love others as yourself. That's how you show Christ that you love him. You find someone and you love them. And by the way, we already answered the question earlier in the series, who our neighbor is. Basically, your neighbor is anybody that God puts in your path. And how do you repay this debt? This is question three. With love and forgiveness. You find someone who needs love and you love them unconditionally. But here's something that's going to sting. You ready for this? You ready? You find somebody who's hurt you. And they need forgiveness. And you forgive them. I think one thing that's holding the church back in America. And I say this with very broad strokes. Is other Christians forgiving to forgive other Christians? Now, I'm not going to say you don't have a right to be hurt. All of us have been hurt. But at the end of the day, when I look at the cross of Christ, how can I hold anything over anyone's head when I've been forgiven by so much? Love is not some type of lawfully concept, it's real, it's practical. You think of someone other than yourself, you put them first. And it's very difficult for us to do on our own, but when we experience that love of Christ, it overflows through us to the people that we come in contact with. I found this list, by the way, some practical ways that you can show love within your family. You ready? If you open it, close it. If you turn it on, turn it off. If you unlock it, Lock it. If you break it, you fix it. If you can't fix it, call someone who can. If you borrow it, return it. If you use it, take care of it. If you make a mess, you clean it up. If you move it, you put it back where it was. If it belongs to somebody else and you want to use it, ask permission. Those are just simple ways of showing respect and love for another person. And I'll have to tell you this, you go out into our society today and our culture, we have very little love and a lot of disrespect going on. We are called to put the concern of others above our own. I heard this a long time ago when I was a kid going to church. Joy. How do you spell joy? J-O-Y. Jesus first. Others second. Yourself last. Something I learned in VBS stuck with me. See, you teach a child a way you should go, you'll never forget it. So what are the, question four is, what are the benefits of repaying this debt? Well, look at verse, verses 9 and 10. It satisfies all of God's commandments. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. That's what it says in verse 8. Think of the Ten Commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments deal with our personal relationship with God. And so to keep them, we need to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and all our strength. If we're truly loving God with all our heart, 
soul, mind, and strength. We don't have to worry about worshiping another God. We don't have to worry about taking God's name in vain because we're loving God with everything we are. Now, does it mean we're perfect? No. But it means we're so busy trying to love God with everything we are, it helps us keep everything else. And the last six commandments have to do with our human relationships. Do not commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't lie. To keep those, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we truly love them. We won't do them any harm. Can you see now why the text would say love satisfies all the commands? Because if we truly love God and other people, we'll keep the Ten Commandments. You guys are looking at me like, huh? Look at the text. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love. If we would simply put it all on the line and love God with everything. Let me ask you a question, a personal question. This may make you feel very uncomfortable. You may not know these songs that we sang this morning, okay? They're not the traditional hymns. But when is the last time you worship with every fiber of your being? When is the last time? You just cried out to God. And you didn't care who was around you. And you said, oh God. Because when we truly chase after him and we truly love him, nothing else is going to matter. Here's something else that might make you feel a bit uncomfortable. I am confident down to my very heart, soul, and in my bones I know. During this time of worship, it can happen here, happen to recent. If we truly look to him that way and God gives us a glimpse of his glory, we can't put a time frame on how long we're going to be here. Because once we glimpse it, we're not going to leave. We want to stay. So when's the last time? Because this whole time of reset, getting back to the basics, getting back to what it's all about, Loving God and loving other people. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't just leave you sitting there? Say good luck with it. He got up and took on human flesh. What beautiful songs. Took on human flesh and laid his life down for us. He thought about us. Nothing special about us. But he loves us that much that he was willing to die for us. And he asked us to go out and share that love with other people. Now, the text takes a little turn here. In light of all that, he says this. It's already the hour for you to be awakened from your sleep. Isn't that interesting that there's a sense of urgency come right on the heels of this loving God and loving other people? The world lives as though human history will continue on forever and ever and ever. A secular view of history says history is a line, or history repeats itself. You know, different fads come around, so it's kind of history goes in a circular motion. A Christian understanding of history is a line. Here's the beginning when God created the earth. At the center of it was the cross of Christ. And somewhere over here 
is the return of Christ. And everything that's happening right now, even God uses his enemies to fulfill his will, everything is pushing, pulling, directing, everything at that moment in time when he will send his son back. See, God's the one in control. Of all the events of people, of nations, it's all moving in that direction. And since the end is near, this text is telling us we must arouse ourselves from sleep. We must wake up to the reality that the critical hour in which we find ourselves, we must be wide awake and ready for action. The American church, I say that church in America, we have fallen asleep. We've been lulled to sleep by the enemy. Look what's going on in our country. Look what's happening in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. And yet, many people who call themselves Christians meet Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and there's nothing being done. We must wake up. The mission field is not somewhere off in Africa somewhere. The mission field is right at those doors. The mission field is the is the school right up on the hill. The mission field is across the street in that house. It's everywhere. God wants us out there actively seeking to build his kingdom. James chapter 5 verse 8, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. See, if I truly love Audie, I'm going to pick on you this morning. If I truly love her and I know the truth, I'm going to have to tell her the truth at some point. Now, I'm just speculating here, but what happens if Audie wasn't a believer? And she had this contact with me day in and day out, day in and day out. Here I am, a pastor and a believer. And she stands before God one day and says, I was good. No, you never had a relationship with Christ. Tim, why didn't you tell me? You saw me every day, and yet you did not tell me the truth. You never took the time. I shared this with Thad earlier. The, the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life, that list seems to be getting longer, by the way. My mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, and she had stopped cancer treatments. I knew time was short. She had come hearing me preach, and she had cooked me fried chicken when I first started. Then I got too expensive when I became a pastor every Sunday, fried chicken. Oh, anyway. And God said, you need to talk to her. And I used every excuse in the book not to do it. I don't want to make her mad. I don't want to and finally, she's to the point, she's confined to bed, she still can hear, she's not to that point where she's just out with the medication. I can have a conversation with her. And it's just me, her, and Tammy. I said, Tammy, i got to go talk to her. Tammy said, go ahead, you need to. I said, Sandra, you have loved me like a son ever since I came into your life and Tammy and I got married. And I cannot look you in your eye and tell you I love you too unless I ask you this most important question. How's your relationship with Christ? And for an hour and a half, I sat there and we had that discussion. And I'm so glad that I did because at her funeral, I could stand there and say without any doubt in my heart, she knew Christ. 
and one day I'll see her again. I share that story because I want to encourage you. You can reach people I can't. You, I can reach people you can't. You have all these different gifts and talents, and God wants to use you to reach people. Hera led someone to Christ and see that change. And yes, you should invite them to church, and yes, invite them to reset, but the first contact they should have with Christ is you. And the change they see in you. Look what he says. Salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Salvation he's talking about here is the final deliverance we'll have at the second coming of Christ. Every day brings us closer to that day. That day when all that we anticipated will become reality when Christ returns. The long-awaited kingdom will finally be unveiled and be completely here. What a day that will be. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Sin, disease, all eradicated, completely gone. Oh, to see all the loved ones have gone on before. But because what Christ has done for me, his blood has covered my sin, I can stand before my maker and look him right in the eye and fall down before him. What's that going to be like? I have not the slightest idea, but I look forward to it. And he uses this illustration. The night is almost gone and the day is near. And he makes a point in this text that we must rid ourselves of the works of darkness completely. Our conduct, our ethics must be decent and honorable and must be acceptable in the open light of day. We've gotten ourselves in trouble. We want to get into behavior. So we say, this is what we want to do. We go to the Bible and say, now I've got to find passages that will support that behavior. Rather than going, how shall, I be, how shall I behave? And go to the Bible, let the Bible inform my ethics, not my ethics inform my theology. See, we got it backwards. Because the Bible gives clear direction for us in every aspect of life. And people who like to do things... The darkness, the, the deeds. Have you ever notice how most of the perpetrators of evil like to do things in darkness? And we're, we're that way too. We think we turn off the lights, God can't see. Well, let me tell you that darkness is nothing but light to God. And by the way, if we're engaged in some behavior and we feel like God doesn't see it, you know, no one else knows about it, you know, that's integrity. He's doing the right thing when no one's watching because you know God's watching you. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, with God, and yet we walk in darkness, we do not practice the truth. If you have some secret sin, something going on in your life, you're not fully addressing, you're not practicing the truth. You're walking in darkness. And the good news is you don't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to stumble about. You can walk in the glorious light of Christ. And look at the, you know, the different things he lists us here. Carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality. And, and listed in there is strife, or some translations are under that, quarreling and jealousy. Now, 
Just bear with me as I make this point. If someone commits sexual immorality, there's condemnation coming from every course of the room. But if someone's involved in maybe some jealousy or some strife, okay, it's not polite, but we tolerate that more than we would over here. We're not going to tolerate that, but, you know, maybe they're hurt. We don't know what's going on. We, the point is we kind of tolerate a little bit more. And what's going on in this list is he's letting us know that all these things are a deed of darkness. So if we don't have sexual immorality going on, but we have a lot of strife and jealousy and conflict and bike biting and gossiping going on, that's just as bad. And that will hinder your life with Christ. It will hinder the growth of the church until we allow God to deal with it. He tells us lastly to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not continue in these things, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Greek verb that's used there calls for decisive action. And the critical nature of the day in which we live, we must separate ourselves unmistakably from all that belongs to darkness. And let me tell you, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is a daily thing. Equip yourselves with the armor of God. Because you know what the enemy likes you to believe? Oh, just keep, you know, it's okay. If, just keep on. You know, you're doing okay. You're not that bad. But as soon as you step out and say, God, I want more. I want to experience you. I want to see a, a great movement. And you start acting on that, and God puts people in every comfort zone, you better be ready because the enemy will come at you full force. And church, be ready for it because it's already happening, and it's going to happen even more as you move closer to that day of critical. Even during reset, it's going to happen. We have to lift each other up and pray and protect each other, have each other's bags because it's going to happen. The devil wants you to keep, I'll have to, what I was told earlier about that, he, he wants you to keep you enslaved to fear. That's what it is. Live there in fear. Don't push anything because this might happen. You might that person mad. And it's really coming down to one thing, fear. Rather than God says, man, I want to bust you out of there. And I want you to become everything I created you to be. Love is the fulfillment of the law. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. I want to close with this. There's a group called Casting Crowns, and that name comes from when we fall down and cast our crowns before him. They had a, a song come out some years ago, and it's entitled, Love You With The Truth. I'm just going to read the refrain. I'm not going to try to sing it. It says, when we love, we are in the right to speak the truth. When we speak truth, we show the world we truly love. I'm not pointing my finger. I'm holding out my hand. I lay it all on the line now to see God save my friend. Let my life and my words be the proof. I'm going to love you with the truth. If you want to know what my prayer is for reset, right there it is. I want to see people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. I want to see people give their life over to Christ's situation. I want to see relationships restored. I want to see 
I want to see God do the things that only God can. And I know he, he wants to, he desires to, he can do it. I've seen it before. But are we going to put it all on the line? Everything. Are we going to put it all on the line? Time is short. Therefore, we must conduct ourselves accordingly. And share the love of God with everybody who's in our path. And my prayer is for all of you and myself. May the power of God, the power of the gospel, and the power of his love be ever present in our lives. Does music style matter some? Yes. If the preacher can preach, does it matter? Somewhat. Does it matter what kind of building you're in? Yeah, you know, it's nice to have air-conditioned padded seat. Do you realize there's believers meeting around the world in a shack with a dirt floor right now, singing their hearts out? Here's my point. I'm going to end with this. What draws people is that love. They see that in you. And they want to know what makes you so different. What is it? Adi, Tim hurt you so bad. How can you still love and forgive him? Because of Christ. Let me tell you the difference Christ has made in my life. That's what people are looking for. Because out there, everything's conditional. Always have to be wearing this, and then you have to wear that, and then you have to wear this, and you have to wear that. You have to look this way, get this job, have this money, have this car. Have, it never stops. Jesus says, come to me, all who are laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for the greatest gift of all, your Son. How can we begin to measure the vastness of your love? How can we even tell how deep or wide it is, Father? It's so unending. And as the old hymn says, if we could fill all the oceans in this world with ink, and every quill was a pen, and all of us were scribes, and the, and the sky itself was a scroll, we would drain the oceans dry trying to encapsulate and describe the depth of your love. And Father, I pray for anybody in this room who has never experienced that love that you have, that the day will be the day. That Father, you break down barriers and walls. We will willing to put it all out there for you. Continue to move, O oh God, and have your way with us. May we respond to complete obedience. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?